Hello and welcome to the Lancet podcast. I'm Richard Lane on Friday, June the 6th. Is it fair to say that hypothermia, moderate hypothermia, is an underused area of clinical practice in ICU settings? Yes, that is definitely fair to say. I think for cardiac arrest, it should be standard of care. And at the moment, in European ICUs, about 60% are using it. In the UK, it's slightly lower. In the United States, it's much lower. More on that in a moment. Here are some headlines from the issue of The Lancet dated June the 7th to the 13th. We editorialise about the exploitation of children by UN peacekeepers, following recent reports out by Save the Children and Amnesty International. Also about a new global health initiative for doctors launched in Copenhagen last week, and on dementia diagnosis in the United Kingdom. In research, we published the TAPAS study, highlighting how the aspiration of a coronary artery clot during acute heart attack results in better outcome than conventional percutaneous coronary intervention using balloon angioplasty. We also published research about hyperaldosterone and high blood pressure, and a trial from Bangladesh suggesting that a home birth approach is more effective than delivery in community health centres where the health system's infrastructure is weak. This week's seminar discusses trachoma, a major cause of blindness worldwide, with some encouraging statistics which suggest that the SAFE strategy, which has been implemented over the past decade, SAFE stands for surgery, antibiotics, face cleanliness and environmental improvements, are having a positive effect in reducing trachoma incidence. But back to this week's feature. Should moderate hypothermia be more widely used in clinical settings to reduce tissue damage after a major event such as a heart attack, stroke or traumatic brain injury? Earlier, I spoke to Kees Polderman from the University of Utrecht in the Netherlands. Dr. Polderman, you're the author of a very interesting review in this week's issue of The Lancet. This concerns moderate hypothermia, in particularly relevant to neurological injury. Before we go into details of the review, can you just outline what is the thinking in biological terms about the possible advantages of temperature lowering in terms of restricting tissue damage after injury? Well, we know from biological observations and from animal experiments that the harmful processes which occur after ischemia and after trauma can be inhibited by a slight decrease of temperature and actually stimulated by an increase in temperature. So it's an interesting observation, but it's only, I think, since the 1990s that we're able to to use this clinically based on the awareness that you only need mild hypothermia to, uh, to achieve this aim and that we are now better able to control the side effects of this therapy in the context of intensive care treatment. You say since 1990, is it basically that's the time that it's been used in clinical practice? Well, it has been used actually uh, quite early on by some pioneers. Its first usage is in 1938 in the United States by a neurosurgeon who used it for various indications, and it was used in the 1950s already for some of the indications which we now think it's effective, like cardiac arrest. The problem was that they didn't have intensive care facilities. They couldn't, for example, mechanically ventilate the patients. They couldn't control the temperature properly. And they were using more deep hypothermia than we are doing now. So the patient management was very difficult. And it's only now that we've really found out how to use this therapy effectively, I would say, since the 1990s. In the review, you talk importantly about this concept of secondary injury. Can you just explain that and how that relates to particularly to neurological injury? What happens in an injured brain, if you expose a brain to a period of hypoxia, 
you then get reperfusion of the brain, and then the body starts sort of repairing the damage, but these repair uh, reactions get out of control. Uh, one of the reactions is an inflammatory response, and the white blood cells actually kill the brain cells. You get uh, programmed cell death, apoptosis. So a mild degree of this is good, but a severe degree of this is harmful. And it's now been shown that if you dampen this down by lowering the temperature, you decrease the likelihood of the brain cells actually actually dying, and you increase the chance that they will recover. And it's I'm just listing now one or two mechanisms, but there are more than 20. But each of them is actually inhibited by mild hypothermia. So it is a very effective way of controlling this process. And in terms of research that's already published, and research that should be informing, if you like, clinical practice. What evidence do we have that moderate hypothermia clearly has benefit? Well, for cardiac arrest patients, uh, the category of patients who have a witnessed cardiac arrest and uh, a specific rhythm, uh, an initial rhythm of uh, ventricular fibrillation or ventricular tachycardia, these are the patients who uh, have the best chance of recovery. And in this group, it's been shown that the chance of recovery increases much further if you use mild hypothermia in these patients. And the same applies to newborn infants who uh, suffer oxygen deprivation during birth, so neonatal asphyxia. If you treat these infants for a period of two to three days with mild hypothermia, they also have a greater likelihood of not having permanent brain injury. For those two categories of patients, it's been very clearly shown that this is effective and everybody should be using it. And there's a lot of other indications where we have, well, initial evidence and we have, well, uh, the idea that there is something there, but we are not sure yet. There haven't been uh, proper studies done to, to look into this. And also, we're not sure yet about what the right temperature is and what the treatment duration should be. So there's a lot of work to be done. But where we are now is that certainly for those two categories, I think everybody should be using it. Just to be clear here, when we talk about hypothermia, a lot of us think of freezing to death. We're talking about a moderate lowering of, of core temperature, aren't we? We're talking about lowering body temperature just a few degrees to between 32 and 34 degrees Celsius. That's actually only a few degrees, but it makes a lot of difference. And how technically is that done in an area like the brain? You can't cool the brain selectively, unfortunately. So it's done by reducing the temperature of the whole body. And there are several ways of doing it. There are several devices which you can use. And uh, one which I've researched uh, as, a, as a way to start this process is infusion of cold fluids, which is a very low-tech and easy thing to do to reach your goal quickly, and then you need a device to maintain temperature in the target range. You find that once you're at target temperature, then it's quite easy to stay there, but it can be difficult to lower body temperature because uh, the body is programmed to maintain its temperature, so you have to circumvent physiological responses of the body. What about research in terms of clinical areas where the benefits of hypothermia are less clear? This is more controversial, presumably, because you may have a situation, I'm guessing, where published research doesn't suggest a benefit, but clinically there still may be a, a case or a desire to use hypothermia. Well, the most important controversial area at the moment is uh, traumatic brain injury, uh, where the processes which take place after trauma are more complex than in global ischemia. There is, well, there's a lot of stuff going on. There's the formation of brain edema, and it appears that hypothermia can be effective there, but you have to use it for a considerably longer period of time. The studies in cardiac arrest did just 24-hour cooling, 
one study did 12 hours, one did 24 hours. But it seems that in traumatic brain injury, you need to cool for a much longer period of three to five days to achieve benefits. This means the risk of side effects also increases. Centers which have done this in that way have reported benefits. So I think there is a signal there, but we need to refine it. And actually, there's um, a multi-center study planned somewhere next year in uh, Europe, sponsored or endorsed by the European Society of Intensive Care Medicine, which plans to look at this issue. Other areas which are interesting but which haven't been studied well are ischemic stroke. That's a huge category of patients. The problem with doing studies in these patients is that they're usually not admitted to intensive care. And in the, the regular neurology ward, you don't have the facilities to use hypothermia in these patients because you would probably need to mechanically ventilate some of them. In the ICU context, it's not so difficult to manage, but in a regular ward, it would be more difficult. And that's also something we need to be looking at in the next few years. In general, how would you conclude, if you like, gathering all the evidence that we have in areas where there are benefits and areas where it's not so clear? What's really the basic message for practicing clinicians? When and how should hypothermia, moderate hypothermia, be used? Well, the most important message I would have is that temperature is important, not just hypothermia, but maintaining normal thermia. That is the first message I would give to clinicians. In patients with neurological injury, fever is almost always harmful or potentially harmful. Maintaining normal thermia, I think, should be the first goal in, for most practicing clinicians when they treat patients with brain injury or potential brain injury. Now, some of these patients require mild hypothermia, and I think, as we discussed at the beginning of the interview, Cardiac arrest patients with global anoxic injury should be treated with this at the moment for a period of 24 hours. It's also important that when you do this that you use slow rewarming because there is a lot of physiological evidence that if you rewarm quickly, you restart all the harmful processes and then you're sort of back to where you started. So you have to do the rewarming in a slow and controlled way. Apart from that, we need to do a lot of research in the area of uh, traumatic brain injury, stroke. A very interesting area is myocardial injury. So the average patient with myocardial infarction. It may be possible to reduce the size of myocardial infarction by using hypothermia after or around reperfusion. So if that were shown to be true, then we would be using this therapy well even more frequently. Is it fair to say then, despite the fact, as you've pointed out, research is still needed in some areas, is it fair to say that hypothermia, moderate hypothermia, is an underused area of clinical practice in ICU settings? Yes, that is definitely fair to say. I think for, for cardiac arrest, it should be standard of care. And at the moment, uh, in European ICUs, about 60% are using it. In the UK, it's uh, slightly lower. In the United States, it's much lower. So there needs to be a lot of work done in this area to, well, to implement what, what we already know. Case Polderman, concluding this week's podcast. Well, many thanks for listening. See you next week.